Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the balance, such a hard balance to find between rescuing our kids and empowering our kids. And it's very hard to find that sweet spot. And most of us kind of do some seesaw parenting to find that sweet spot. And I'm going to talk about what creates some rescuing, what also sometimes creates tough love, which is kind of on the other end of the continuum and how to find that sweet spot in the middle that actually empowers our kids and builds resilience. Because when we're raising kids, regardless of anxiety or OCD, our ultimate goal is to make them resilient for the things that life is going to throw at them. And we're going to talk all about how to do that in just a minute. Before I get started, though, I do have a couple of announcements. Um, One, the AT Parenting community, my membership community, is open for another couple of days. We have had, we've opened the doors. We only open the doors for a couple of days um, every few months. And so if you want to join us, you can sign up at atparentingcommunity.com. Um, I will leave a link in the show notes. It will close this Thursday, November 16th. And in the AT Parenting community, people kind of get confused about all my resources. Uh, I have a public Facebook group and I have an online school. Those are all separate, but I also have an AT Parenting community, which is a paid community where we are a smaller, intimate community, and I do live Zoom classes every single week on topics they pick. They pick. Um, we have monthly support group calls on Zoom for the parents, for the kids, for the teens. Some parents or kids, they don't want to do a support group call. They can um, just get the classes. They also have their own member-only website and member Facebook group. They get direct access to me through the forums where they can ask me questions on our member website um, and get that guidance and support. It's kind of like having a therapist that's not your therapist on tap just for that extra support. And um, they get free access to a lot of my classes. They get to pick um, one of the big ones, how to teach kids to crush anxiety or how to teach kids to crush OCD or how to crush social anxiety. So they pick one of those to get free access to. That's like the foundation of everything they need to know. And then I gift them free access to a lot of other classes, including um, how to handle difficult behavior caused by anxiety, OCD, moral OCD, sensory anxiety. Um, What is the other one that I give you? Oh, the space program. So learning how to pull back your uh, accommodations one step at a time. So there's a lot of stuff in the portal that they get free access to. And some parents, honestly, they only sign up for the connection, just for the support group calls or just the community. And some parents only sign up for the free access of the courses. And so whatever your needs are, the AT parenting community will have that. Some people just sign up because they want to be able to kind of touch base with me and be like, hey, what's your clinical opinion about this? Or this is happening in therapy. And what do you think? Or we can't find a therapist. And so I just want to get your opinion on this. And even though I'm not your therapist, it's just nice to have kind of a friend in your corner who has clinical expertise and um, you get that on tap because that's my full-time job. So I hope that you'll join us at atparentingcommunity.com. We do close the doors on Thursday. That will be the 16th of November. 
Okay. Also, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And I will leave a link in the show notes as well. We talk about NoCD a lot in the AT Parenting community because one of the first steps that I do is try to educate you um, so that you are just fully educated on anxiety or OCD and then, you know, connecting you to resources and getting you into therapy if you're not already, if that is something that you're looking for. And NoCD has really helped with that because there are so many more providers now that take insurance on a global level. So I do really appreciate NoCD. So I want to talk to you today. Something that we discuss a lot in the AT parenting community is finding that balance between rescuing and empowering our kids with with anxiety or OCD and without. That's why I actually took that off of my title. I initially had this podcast titled The Balance Between Rescuing and Empowering Our Kids with Anxiety and OCD. And I took off that last part because this is a this is something that we can do or that we need to do or something that we struggle with with every child that we're raising. So this this is for all your kids. How do we foster that empowerment? How do we foster that resilience? How do we get our kids to think that they can handle this? For our kids with anxiety or OCD, it sometimes is even harder because they're dealing with so much more than the average kid. And they have to, so many more things are obstacles for them. And so many things that other kids can do with ease can be a struggle for them. And that can impact how we view them or how we view the issue or how much we rescue them. And so a lot more comes into play. But we're going to talk about this around kids with anxiety or OCD, but I want you to be able to see this from a, a bigger parenting lens as well. So the ultimate goal that we all probably want for our kids is we want to raise healthy, well-functioned, independent adults. I mean, I don't, there have been a few parents I've worked with actually that probably wouldn't say that that's what they want. You know, they'll say, I don't want my babies to leave the house ever. Um, But that's the exception to the rule. I think most of us want our kids to be really well-functioning adults that live outside of our home and that are thriving. You know, they found passion in their life and they're able to handle the struggles in life and they're able to handle the, the trials and tribulations that inevitably will happen in their life. There is no way that anyone's going to be riding a smooth sailing journey through life because life is a series of obstacles and struggles, and it's about building strength, getting through them, getting to the other side, up another obstacle, getting through it. Um, that That is just part of this journey that we call life. And how do, how do we get there? How do we get our kids to be adults? who are able to navigate those bumps in a resilient way. And when I say resilient, that's kind of like a very Nietzsche word right now. It's like an in vogue word. You know, I think resilience, how do we build resiliency? We hear that a lot. And really, for me, resilience is about having a child who can fall down metaphorically or literally, scrape themselves, and they have the resilience to say, I can get back up. I can scrape off my legs and scrape off my legs. That sounded really weird. I can scrape. No, let's just throw out the word scrape. That sounds really weird. I can dust off my legs. That's a little bit better. And I know that I can do it, 
right? I'm not falling down and just crumbling the first moment there's an obstacle. And these are obstacles that can range from, you know, minor things like breaking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or, you know, having to make rent the first time or getting fired from a job or having conflict with your roommates or to big things, getting in a car accident, um, having people die, you know, having to go through grief, um, having some trauma, being in a situation where you're part of a crime. I'm just thinking like randomly of all the things that life can throw at our kids, at, uh, at anyone, at us, and getting going through a divorce. Um, how do they handle those things? And they don't just instantly at 21 or 20 be like, boom, I'm an adult, I can handle it. It's, it's what we're doing. It's what we're doing right now that will build the skills or the lack of skills that our kids will have as adults. I always say I'm raising an adult. I'm not raising a child. Like what is the end game? What do I want my kids to do? And sometimes it can feel like, oh my gosh, they're never going to get there. (laughs) Cause I have that feeling a lot of times. I sometimes I'll say to myself, I can't believe you're X, Y, and Z age and you're not doing this. And I think for parents, like myself, who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD or any other medical or mental health issue, it's important for us to realize that we're not on some sort of timeline. It's just where we want to get to. What is our, our long-term goal? You know, what, where are we trying to get our kids? And it's okay if your child is not where they should be, quote unquote, from whoever says that you know, compared to their peers or compared to what expectations you're placing on where your child should be. And I'm completely and utterly guilty of that because our kids with anxiety or OCD are often not there. And so they might be socially or emotionally or developmentally behind because when you're dealing with a slew of issues, whether it's medical, mental, anything, you know, trauma, grief, whatever can slow down development and it can stilt it. And so it's okay if your if your kids are not, you know, these beautifully independent, resilient kids, because mine aren't. Um, but I know that I'm trying to get them there. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is what are some things that we can do? We are only one part of the equation. So that's important to know too, because I think as parents, we we're so hard on ourselves. I know I am so hard on myself sometimes. And It's like I take the full weight of if my child is successful, yay me. And if my child is a failure, boohoo me. You know, like I messed up or I did something right. And we are not the be all and end all of our child. We are one component. We're one powerful component. But there is uh, physiological aspects. There's genetic aspects. There's personality aspects. There's environmental aspects. And you're none of those. You're not related to any of those. And so you have your own impact, which is the part that I work on with you because that's the part we get to control. But we also have to say, some of this is way out of my control. And and that is okay too. Like I accept that. Regardless of whether you accept or not, it's the reality. So it doesn't matter. But I think it is important to be somewhat compassionate with yourself when we're talking about this um, because you're going to hear some things that maybe you do that I definitely do. And, and they're not things that we always want to do. They're not always fostering independence or building resiliency, but understanding that 
your child is a puzzle piece and you're one piece of the puzzle and that we have to be compassionate for ourselves. Okay. I think I'm beating a dead horse. I think I've already, I I think you get what I'm saying. So I want to move into the two continuums. I think if we looked at the continuum of parenting in general, and I'm going to make this super simplistic, but I actually think it's more nuanced and complicated, but just for simplicity's sake, I think on the far end of the spectrum, we have rescuing. I don't want my child to fall down. I don't want them to feel the bumps. I want to make sure they have a happy, happy life, happy, happy childhood. And I'm going to do whatever I can. And I'm going to go into rescuing in a minute, but that's just my brief summary of rescuing. And then on the opposite end of the continuum, we have tough love, suck it up, buttercup, tough love. And really we want to find that sweet spot in between where that's where the empowerment comes from. It comes from the sweet spot in between rescuing and tough love is empowerment. And that's really what I'm always striving for. And I think the first step is to to ask yourself, what am I striving for? Because some of you might be very firmly in the rescuing category, and you may disagree with everything I'm going to say in this episode, and that's okay. We can all agree to disagree, right? I mean, I think sometimes we get too much on our high horses about parenting and being like, this is how you need to be. No, you do you. And so if this doesn't resonate with you, that's okay, right? It's okay if you don't resonate with me. Um, we are all just doing the best that we can and some things are going to resonate and some things aren't. So there are going to be people who are firmly in the rescuing camp and are going to be like, I'm happy there. And I can tell you a million reasons why I believe this. And that's great. You do that with your child. And there's going to be people on the tough love side who are like, it worked for me. It will work for my kid. This is why we have a problem with society. I don't know. Whatever philosophical beliefs you have on the tough love side, that's you. And that's okay if you're not if you're not seeing it as an issue, then you're not going to really want to move into the middle either. So I'm really speaking to the people that that align with the belief that we don't want to rescue or do tough love, but we're finding that sweet spot that our goal is to empower our kids. If that resonates with you, then this whole episode will resonate with you. If it doesn't, then it's okay right? Because there's going to be people on either end of the continuum that will not really ever see the desire to change. And that is perfectly fine. I feel like most parents sometimes rescue, sometimes do tough love. Like we're on, we're all over the place. Most parents. I do think that a lot of parents tend to favor one end of the spectrum. And I've also seen some what I call seesaw parenting, which is one parent is a rescuer and one parent is a tough lover, and they try to cancel each other out. And so the parent that's a rescuer says, oh my gosh, he is so tough on her. He is so punitive. I need to soften it. And so they rescue. And then the parent that's a tough lover will say, oh my gosh, she's so coddling. She's so enabling. I need to toughen her up. And so I'm going to give more tough love. And so they really almost like negate each other in parenting. And the child really gets these mixed messages and doesn't get empowered at all because they learn how to kind of manipulate the situation. I have a rescuer. I have a tough lover. (laughs) I am just calling a tough lover. That is like my language. It's very, very confusing for the child. And so if that's your dynamic, that can be tricky. And that's not what this episode is about, but I do see that sometimes as uh, a dynamic and doing your own work and going into couples therapy can be really helpful to get you both kind of in the middle ground if both of you are willing to get into the middle ground. But I want to speak about what causes 
us to rescue and what causes the tough love. Because when you understand where it's coming from, you can do your own work to understand why you're responding in that way and then respond with much more intention. So with rescuing, here are a couple of them, more than a couple, but here are some of the things that I that came to my mind when I thought of why do we rescue? So this is from, you know, all the parents that I've worked with in my practice, in my communities, with my own children. These are some of the common ones. So the first one is feeling your child's pain. You know, some parents, you know, have their own anxiety or OCD and they really feel their child's pain. Or some parents are empathetic to the point where, you know, you hurt, I hurt. Like we are one, there's no division. And so I feel your pain. I'm crying with you when you're crying and can't go to school. I'm crying with you when your friend is mean to you. I feel it. And if I'm not crying, I want to cry. I feel it. And so I don't want you to feel that because I get how it feels because I'm literally feeling it too. And so I need to rescue both of us really. So that's one. You don't believe your child can do it. Here's another one. And it may be on a subconscious level, but you feel like they can't do it on their own. They need me. They want me. I need to do this for them. They, they won't be able to do it. So there's not a belief in their child's, in your child's resiliency. Another one is no one rescued me. You know, as a child, I was left to struggle and to melt down and to sink or swim. And I'm not going to do that to my child. And so I, there are things that I can do to fix this. They don't need to feel it. And so I'm going to swoop in. Another one is I don't want my child to feel discomfort. I want my child to have a happy childhood. I want them to be happy. And they're not happy when they're anxious about this or when OCD pops up with this. And so I'll do whatever I can to make sure my child has the happiest childhood they can. And that can come from either you not having a happy childhood or you having a happy childhood and having a parent who has kind of emulated this as well. And that is my last point is if you were rescued and that was modeled for you, you might feel like that is, that's what parents do. They don't let their kids sink or swim. They rescue them. And so what is rescuing? Rescuing means you are proactively thinking of what your child is going to have a hard time with and you smooth the road before it even happens um, in areas that they may or may not need rescuing. And so we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode. There are times where we have to go in and proactively swoop in and, and smooth the road. But are you doing this when you really don't know if there's a problem? Um, Are you overstepping your boundaries and doing things or not signing your child up for things because you feel like, eh, that might be too triggering or your whole house is operated on what will help create the most calming environment that will create no discomfort for your child. And you make sure to pave the road and make sure it's smooth. And that will look different for each child depending on what is happening. On the other end of the continuum, we have tough love. And the tough lovers can come from different places as well. So with rescuing, for me, most of you aren't going to have all of the ones that I just listed. I'm going to go back to rescuing for one second. I don't feel my child's pain unless it's social anxiety. And then I feel it because I have social anxiety. So it could be triggering your own stuff. So if my kid have kids have any issues with social anxiety or it's my baggage and I perceive that they're going to have a hard time with... Um, social anxiety. And it's not even like, they're not even having a problem, but I would have had a problem. I will try to rescue, or I will feel the pain and feel uncomfortable and want to fix it. So that's an example. I'm going to give you some examples of rescuing. Then we'll move to tough love. I was prematurely going to tough love. Another thing that I do that is a me issue 
is I get anxious about my kids around knives. It's just an intrusive thought that I have. Like I can see them cutting themselves. I see the blood. I see their hands. I see the finger parts going. It's very anxiety producing for me to see them with knives. And they are old at this point. They are almost 12, 14, and 20. (laughs) And I'm including the 20-year-old. And I'll say, do you want me to cut that for you? Or here, give me the knife. If they're opening up a package, if they're cutting their food wrong, bagels really make me anxious. I actually bought a bagel cutter. And actually a couple of days ago, my kids said, you know, mom, you have created an anxiety in me around knives. And I, I totally own that. It's true because I was rescuing them from something that was not happening, something that was making me anxious. And so rescuing could be about you too. So I realized, okay, they are old and I need to let them use knives and If they cut themselves, then we go to urgent care. Like babies don't fly if they don't try to move out of the nest. (laughs) So I want to give you examples of where I'm doing things, you know, that aren't like perfectly empowering so that you can see that we all do this. Okay. When we get back, we're going to talk about the tough lovers. And then we're going to talk about finding that sweet spot in between. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's move on to tougher love, tough lovers. 
This can come from lots of different things as well. So let's come, let's list a couple of those. It could be tough love could be caused by the fear of what will happen. And so maybe you know what anxiety or OCD can look like, or maybe it's something else in your family, a behavior or a quality that you are nervous about your child having, whether it's addiction or laziness or overspending, like whatever it is in your family history, you could you could be operating from a place of fear when you see that in your kids. And so you don't want that to happen. And so you're very, you know, you have a lot of tough love about getting them um, in line. And when I'm talking about tough love, let me give you a definition really quick. Tough love would be almost punitive. When I'm talking about tough love, I'm talking about punishment. I'm talking about being really stern, very strict boundaries, not a lot of explanations or processing. It's just like, do do what I say. It's good for you. I think a little punitive, tough love. That's what I'm referring to when we talk about tough love. Some other reasons why people move towards tough love is they had tough love themselves. They might say, my stomach is really growling for some reason. <laughs> Hopefully the mic isn't picking it up. They might say, you know what, if it was good enough for me, it's good, good enough for my kids, or I turned out pretty good. I hear that, those kind of things um, a lot of times from dads. I turned pretty, I turned out pretty good. It worked for me. I think it'll work for them. Um, sometimes this comes into like corporal punishment or like, you know, just really, you know, punishing your kids. Sometimes you don't align with it, but it's your fallback. It's been modeled for you. And so in your harder moments, you move to tough love because it's all that you know, it's all that you were raised around. And so sometimes we can go to that. Another one could be that you don't want to coddle them. And so, or maybe this is your partner, right? That says, you know, you're coddling them and you're creating this problem. And when you're too soft on them, they don't, then they are anxious about everything. So the answer to their anxiety is just to toughen them up. They need a little bit thicker skin. And so we can do that by kind of throwing them in the deep end or being punishing or or pushing them into things that make them uncomfortable without really the the processing that we're going to talk about. Another one could be you want to empower them and you think this is the way to do it. And so you recognize that the anxiety or OCD is an issue and you're like, I just want to empower them. And so they need tough love. And the last one that I can think of, but certainly not the only one because these are not exhaustive lists, but another one that I thought of is the pressure from others. I mean, sometimes you get pressure even from a therapist who's like, you need to punish your kids, or you need to be firmer, or you get uh, pressure from your partner or pressure from family members or pressure from your friends, and or just the embarrassment of how your kids are acting. And so you feel like I just need to give them some tough love and, and make things better. Ideally, we want to find the sweet spot in between. And so empowerment does not look like tough love or rescuing. And I was thinking about how do you define empowerment? You know, what is that sweet spot? So it's not really bringing a little bit of rescuing and bringing a little bit of tough love and getting a combination. It really is, it's not tough love and it's not rescuing. It's empowering. But empowerment kind of sits in between those two. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what are some questions to ask to hit that sweet spot of empowerment? And the first one that came up to me was, I don't want to always jump in and fix it before there is a problem. So I would ask myself, is there a problem right now? Or am I responding from a possible problem, right? And so, and this is actually more on the rescuing end of things, right? When we go in, we swoop in and we're smoothing things out, fixing things for our kids. How often do we swoop in and fix it before there's ever a problem? 
How often do we not give our kids an opportunity to face discomfort because we feel like they can't handle it or we feel like it's going to be too big of a problem or I'm not going to even try. I'm not even going to ask them if they want to go because I know they're going to say no. We rob them of opportunities because we we think that it will be a problem and so we don't really let them even experience it. And so you also want to ask yourself, is my child capable of handling some component of this? And so a lot of times there's all, in, all, all or nothing thinking. And so it might be, I don't think that my child can go to this activity. You know, it's going to be too overwhelming. And so maybe I'm just going to not call, I'm going to just cancel it or I won't tell my child that they were invited. Or could we ask ourselves, could they handle a component? Could they go for an hour? If they can't go to practice, can they watch their teammates playing? Or if they, you know, I'm just trying to think of examples. It's like, what baby step can they do to get to that discomfort and finding that baby step? And the other question I ask is, what is the least involved I can be while supporting my child? And so finding that sweet spot is always saying, what does my child need in this moment? And if we're not in that moment, then we're being kind of, we are in the what if world. And so we we have to come back. But it's what does my child need in this moment? And what can they do that they can cope with? I'm going to give some concrete examples after this, because I feel like I am talking into the ambiguity of this and it's not, you know, I like concrete examples. I'm going to move into concrete examples in a second. But when I think of empowerment, I think of moving from doing it for them to coaching them to cheerleading them. And if you think about that, that makes sense, right? We want to do it for them. We want to coach them how to do it. And then we just want to sit back and cheerlead for them. And so ask yourself, Do they need doing? Can I coach them or can I just cheerlead them? And that's like a really simple mantra to ask yourself every time you are injecting yourself into your child's issue. And sometimes it might be an hour by hour difference. Maybe in the morning you're doing it and maybe at night you're cheerleading. It doesn't have, it's not like a, a one and done. I know at my house, I feel like I am constantly, and it is exhausting, every day assessing, do I have to do this for them? Can I coach them? Are they ready for me to cheerlead? I forget the cheerleading sometimes. Sometimes when it's going well, you're like, oh my gosh, thank goodness, right? Sit back. I can finally relax. And we forgot to say, we forget to say sometimes, or I know I do, you did really well. You should feel really proud of yourself. You know, I saw that was really hard for you, but you did it anyway. I appreciate that. So the cheerleading is an important component that's forgotten as well sometimes. But Often there are parents that are just on the do it track. They're so used to doing everything for their kids and you might be a combination of all three. So let's talk about what this looks like around life, around anxiety and OCD in general. Um, So for me, like I was definitely rescuing my kids by cutting their food way too far. One, because I have a choking issue and I have a cutting issue. And so it was too overwhelming for me to watch them cut their food. And so I was cutting their food way into, until finally I was like, okay, what am I doing? They're like, seriously, too old for me to be cutting their food. And so ask yourself, what am I doing for my kids that not is just developmentally inappropriate, but they are capable of doing. There might be things that you're doing that are maybe not developmentally appropriate, but they are where your child is at. I'll give you an example on that one because it's not clear cut. My my son has a really hard time waking up in the morning. And even though when I think about my daughter, who's 20 now and is in college, and I think, 
By the time she was his age, she was setting her alarm. She was up on her own. I don't remember having to babysit her getting up. She would just get up. I don't remember her morning routine. I was not part of it. She was already a teenager. She was already kind of taking her independent steps. That's not happening over here (laughs) with the second child. And it is happening with the third child who's younger. But we can't compare our kids, even though I fall into that sometimes where I get frustrated and say things like, your sister was already getting up, right? I mean, we say things that we're like, oh, shouldn't have said that. You know, we're all human. But I'm trying to foster independence because the ultimate goal is I want him to be able to wake himself up and... Yeah, I'm okay with being, you know, a backup alarm to say, hey, time to get up. But I don't want to have to sit there for 20 minutes and try to get somebody up and then get their clothes for them and then get their breakfast for them because the goal is independence and it's not going to happen overnight. However, we are very far from that right now. And, And even though I want to be at that goal or close to that goal and I can compare to other kids and say, other kids are at that goal. My daughter was at that goal. Why are we not at that goal? I've had to move into acceptance. And this is kind of like a current thing going on where I had to move into acceptance and say, we're not there yet. And he's not capable of fully independently getting up on his own. It's not a behavioral issue. He's just really, really tired. And he has a hard time getting up compared to my other child. And so Where can we go with that? What's the first baby step that I need to do? So wake him up and then give him 10 minutes and then come back. And then, and I do a little bit of tough love. You know, if he's not moving, I do a little countdown. Okay, I'm going to count to five. And if you're not moving, then you're losing electronics. Um, So I do kind of swing into a little bit of, so that's a little rescue because I'm waking him up and I'm babysitting it. And then I'm moving into tough love because I'm counting down. But we're also having conversations of, I'm trying to help build your independence because you're going to be going to high school and then eventually college. And you're going to want to, you're going to have to be able to get yourself up. You don't want me to be calling you when you're 30 and being like, Hey, you need to get up. You're going to want to have that independence and it doesn't happen overnight. So I have conversations with my kids about where I'm trying to get them to go. What can I do to help you with this? And so I've pulled back. I mean, I used to do like a whole comedic routine in the morning Um, I thought I was really funny. Um, I don't know how funny he thought I was, but to wake him up laughing and to get him to, you know, eventually wake up, you know, by me being funny to him. But down the road, I stopped doing that. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a whole like, you know, shtick in the morning anymore because I need to pull back my involvement and I'm way too involved in your morning routine than I think should be. And so I'm going to pull back. And so asking yourself, where, what areas can I pull back and, and kind of let my child deal with that themselves? Um, when you have an older child, you know, a, a teen or young adult who's in college or is in high school, they may need to communicate with their professors or their teachers and like, what involvement are you at? Do you not even ask your child and you are texting or emailing your, your child's professors or teachers as them? or as the parent even, and working it out between them, or even like, you know, overstepping socially and talking to your, your child's, their friend's parents, you know, to smooth out any social uh, misunderstandings or issues that really you want the kids to figure out themselves. And so it's like just figuring out where am I too involved? 
And where can I pull back? That's really on the rescuing end of things is learning step-by-step where to pull back, uh, which is really important and where to foster independence. Cause the more our kids are independent, the more empowered they actually feel. The more we rescue them, we are inadvertently sending a message that says, I don't think you can handle it. And so I've already handled it for you because I don't think you can, or I got this. That's what I conveyed when I would say, Hey, do you want me to use, you want me to open that for you? Or do you want me to cut that for you? I was inadvertently conveying that I don't believe in you. And I think that you're going to cut yourself. And that's not a good message to convey as they get older and they, certainly should be able to use a knife, you know, but if we swing onto the opposite end with tough love, how often are we crushing our kids by throwing them into stuff without giving them the skills? And so that's the opposite end of the continuum where we're not validating their struggle. We are not giving them tools to handle it. We're throwing them into situations that are way too hard for them to handle. And, and so they sink and we might think, well, you know what? They're sucking it up and they're doing it and they didn't complain. And it doesn't seem to be a problem internally. They are having that experience and saying, this is horrific. This is horrible. I never want to do this again. And so they're really rewiring their brain to double down on their anxiety and OCD because they might be white knuckling it because they're afraid of you and they're doing it. But internally, they're like, this is exactly as bad as I thought it was. This is horrible because they were thrown off a cliff and, or they were thrown in the deep end and they don't know how to swim. And so that does not empower kids either. That actually shuts them down and it immobilizes them in a different way. It makes them hide and stuff their feelings and their issues, and it makes them phobic. And so as they get older, they're less likely to do anything that you're wanting them to do. They're less likely to be resilient. It's actually, you get the opposite effect that you're hoping to get because kids will internalize that and they'll think that they're horrible. They can't do things and they won't even want to try because they've experienced that kind of punitive environment. It's a bit of a mess, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, like I go a little far to the left or a little far to the right and my child is messed up. It's not, it's not as overwhelming as that really. I'm just trying to give you some of the examples on both ends, but really it's it's the intention, the intention of saying, okay, I want to empower my kids. And so I want to always ask myself, am I rescuing them? Am I doing too much for them? Is there something, can I step back a little bit? And am I being too tough on them? Am I using language that is demeaning? Am I threatening them? Like you need to do this or, you know, this is going to happen. And they're not equipped to handle that. I sometimes use some tough love when I know my kids can handle that. I know that when I start to count down after I've already kind of been hovering, waking my son up already, I know that will get him moving. And he'll say, you're not nice. You know, it's kind of funny, but he moves, you know, once the minute he starts moving, I start to move into the empowerment mode. Thank you for getting up. I appreciate that. And I try to remember And I don't often remember, but I'm trying to remember when he gets in the car and he had a relatively smooth morning to say, thank you for getting up and thank you for getting in the car, you know, and, you know, having a good morning. And it may have been a bumpy morning, but it was less bumpy than the day before. I want to highlight that. I want to cheerlead that. And so sometimes those can be hard to remember too. So this episode was really just to get you thinking about those two, two sides and finding the middle. Often I swing too far to the left or the right, but I think 
if we can just hit that sweet spot even half the time, we are doing so much better than we would have anyway, because most of us are just being reactive and not proactive in our parenting and are not saying, I'm trying to empower my kids. I'm trying to teach them to do things that are difficult for themselves. And a lot of times it's much easier to do, you know, these tasks for, uh, for ourselves, you know, for our kids, because it's messy when our kids do it, you know, they might get too anxious or they might literally make a mess or they might not be able to handle it. And so we just don't give them opportunities, but our goal is to really make them feel like they can do it. And that, that is, that is really important at any age. I mean, when I had a toddler and she couldn't poop by herself because she needed me in the bathroom holding her hand, that wasn't a very empowering feeling for her. And it was very easy for me to just go get a stool and sit next to her and hold her hand because then she would poop. But she can't poop like that when she's 25, you know, uh, and it was pretty acute, you know, so I had to kind of inch my worm, inch worm, <laughs> inch my way out of the bathroom. And so it was letting her know that she could handle the bathroom and, you know, getting to her core fear around the bathroom. We did do that. And then I'm in the door frame instead of holding her hand. I'm still right there, but I'm not holding her hand. And then I'm like, you got this. You are strong and capable and you are, you are able and all of the anxiety tools that we use. And then I'm, I'm a little bit behind the door, so she can't really see me, but I'm right there. And then I get to the couch and we're singing together, but I'm on the couch and she's on the toilet. Um, and then we praise her for like being independent and being in the bathroom by herself because she had a lot of anxiety fears around the toilet. And so it doesn't matter what age did this with my 20 year old, you know, there are things that she's having to deal with in college, you know, like rent, roommate issues, professor issues, you know, managing her workload, even physical issues. And I'm not talking to her roommates or calling her roommates, parents, or making doctor's appointments for her, you know, in her current state or calling like the leasing agent or, you know, she was having some issues with um, her back hurting, you know, because she is an artist and she has two back-to-back studio classes. And so she's always had some muscle issues and back issues, and they are having to sit in like these chairs that are not back supported and my back would die. Anyway, she had to go to urgent care because her back hurt so bad. I didn't swoop in and email her professors and say, um, hey, you know, my daughter's having some back issues because that would be way overstepping. Instead, I just kind of talked about the options that she has. I was her cheerleader. Like I was kind of our coach cheerleader. I was like coaching her on the things that she could do, problem solving, and then leaving it up to her. You know, she she figured it out herself. So I don't want to overstep because when I when you do that, then you're conveying that message of you can't young adultish. That doesn't sound right. You can't young adult. You know, like you're not capable. And so you need me. And so we can make our kids more dependent on us than they really need to, or we can squash them. And I'm kind of focusing more on the rescuing because I feel like parents who take the time to listen to this podcast episode are probably more rescue, more leaning towards the rescuer than the tough lover because they're taking an interest in listening to a parenting podcast. That's an assumption, so I could be wrong. But you might be married to someone who's a tough lover. And so they might be listening to this episode because you've asked them to. <laughs> I am giving you a lot of examples on the rescuing end because I think we're more likely to do that. I can go both ways. I feel like I can be, I feel like I could tough love a lot, to be honest with you, because I know they have the skills and I'm like much more of like a 
like they live with a therapist. And so they get a little bit of tough love from me, not in a punitive way most of the time, but more of like a, you know, you can handle the discomfort, you know, you got this, but like not, not enough empathy, you know? And so I need to work on that. There's something we all need to work on no matter who we are. So I hope that you found this podcast helpful. Um, Don't forget to leave a review if you're enjoying my podcast episodes. You can do that wherever you listen to podcasts. I greatly appreciate that. If you have a few extra minutes to leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. And I'll be reading one. I don't think I have any new ones. I was just looking and I don't think I see any new ones. And if I've missed yours, I apologize, but I don't see any. So if you leave a review, I'll probably definitely be reading your review next time. Uh, Don't forget to join us in the AT Parenting community. If you like what I teach in this podcast, it is like this on steroids in the AT Parenting community where we talk about these things on Zoom calls and really dive into it. And we can have a private conversation about how to help your child in our member forums. So you can sign up at atparentingcommunity.com. And don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.